Okay. All right, so uh, we're moving ahead on Chapter 7, The Idol of Plans. Um, and before – so this is – we're going to have to cover uh, – I feel like we have to cover a, a couple weeks here on this topic because she does a couple things. First of all, she brings out two Bible passages, uh, Jeremiah 29 and then Romans 8. And I think that's important for us to actually explore those Bible passages because they have a tendency to be misused. Uh, actually, misused maybe is too strong of a term, but used it kind of in, in an abstract way. So, like Jeremiah 29, verse 11. I have a lot of high school graduation gifts. Well, th- that I've, I shouldn't say a lot, but I remember a lot. That I mean, every single... Congratulations on high school graduation. Jeremiah 29, 11. God's going to have great plans for you. Um, and that, that's true, but again, that's kind of an, there's this kind of this very abstract, you know, is my, my context of graduating from high school really correlate to what Jeremiah is speaking? And on a certain level, it's not. But of course, God has a plan for us. Uh, but when we see those words, um, it, it, I think it brings a false expectation. So, so I want to explore that. And then, uh, second of all, Romans chapter eight twenty eight, uh, uh, all things work for good. And how does that? How do we even understand what that means, too? So. Um, so we're going to take a look at those Bible passages, and then we're going to kind of explore the ramifications of Scalia's conclusion about kind of surrendering. So there you go. All right. But before we get to that, she has a, uh, a question that she starts out the chapter, which I, th- I would like to kind of – well, first of all, those who read the, the, the chapter, what do you think of the chapter, and what are your, some of your initial thoughts, if you have any? And if you don't? We'll move along. Okay. Yes. Yes, right. You might not remember. Yeah, I was. I felt like I got a little side. She she used something that I think she. Yeah. There you go. Yep. There you go. Yep. We don't want we don't want to get bogged down on that. That I was thinking the same thing. I mean, the underlying message of why she brought that up is probably I mean, that's something we'll talk about. But is that the best context to call? Yeah. Anyways, yeah, Jan. Yep. Okay. Good. Well, yep. Right. Yeah, so she, it was it was a little bit of uh kind of one-sided. And and the fact though that she used Jeremiah 29 though kind of contradicts her own kind of point. So I think she maybe overstated uh, this bit about plans a little bit. And that's why I want to spend a little more time with it, because plans are just 
normal part of life. I mean, does anyone have lunch plans today? I mean, <laughs> no, maybe. Okay. Right. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Right. And so, yeah, so God has a plan. Obviously, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, which we read in chapels, said that. He has a plan, and he has a plan for you. Uh, so... Uh, but how we, and that, that gets back to the high school bit, is that when Jeremiah 29, 11 is used, well, first of all, for, for those who might not know what it is, it says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Um, so, you know, that sounds real nice. Oh, the places you go, Dr. Seuss book. Uh, that's, that's a graduation one where you get that verse in the book cover. Um, and, and so we kind of see the future as kind of like, like, uh, you know, endless possibilities. Well, of course, that's not quite what that means. And so we see this kind of this whole, uh, optimistic view of what's happening in the future. And I, I think sometimes, uh, we associate optimism with like happiness and I would say, though, Scripture, though, is pretty clear on optimism is, is related to hope. And hope, of course, is something that's not necessarily seen in this lifetime. So there's kind of a radical notion of hope. So, all right, Holly. Right. Yeah. Plan was to stick to God's word and be faithful and love and serve the neighbors, and, you know. So at some point, plan to good. Yeah. Yeah. Ask any college graduate who's living in the basement of their parents' home <laughs> and not sure what's going on in their life, and they're struggling with a plan. I mean, life without a plan is not is not like great. So. I mean, and that happens all over the place. So, okay, Donna. Okay. Well, I mean, they kind of said it right there. I mean, you can't, you can't, you can't uh, get in the way of God's plans for you. So, but that, that actually, uh, we're not going to talk about contraceptive. We're going to talk about plans. So, let's, the question that was first started out was, how many times have you refused to do something that has come up at the spur of a moment because you have plans, even if the plans are not set in stone? All right, I mean, how many people have done that? 
Yeah. Uh, when you read that, did something like just pop in your head? And was it I, – I, I, had, I had two things actually popped in my head. One was like a, like a big deal where I thought, oh, man, why did I stick to the plan? And, uh, and then the other one was just like a small one, like, uh, you know, just like a day in, day out kind of thing. Something that happened when I read that. And um, I, did you guys have similar experiences where you thought, was it like a big, like a grandiose dealio, or was it just like, you know, why did I eat eggs this morning? So, Mary. Oh man, you, your plans are you're going you're going your plans are going to pot. Plans are being All right, well, see, so this is good then. So um, you know, Mary brings out a couple couple points. First is uh, sometimes your plans aren't real, like it's not a reality; it's just imagination. Um, in order to make things a reality, you have to kind of let go of things and and then have the community or someone else participate in the plans. That's very important, and that goes to Scalia's conclusion at the end. Um, and then the other one is is that um, when you make plans, especially for other people, uh, yeah, and uh, the only way they work out is if uh, that person surrenders, and how many people surrender, uh, or they work out because you make them do it, which, of course, is, I mean, we all love being manipulated and coerced, right? I mean, we love that. So... Uh, when you make plans for other people, it, it becomes a pretty slippery slope. Mm-hmm. All right, so the idea, though, is, is when that's, that question's asked, when you, when you make plans, you, you, um, when do you say yes and when do you say no? We, we kind of talked about that uh, maybe a month or so ago. And this is really important for us because anytime you have a plan, you're making evaluations. You're saying yes to something and you're saying no to something. And when something that you had not anticipated or is outside your purview of knowledge and foresight, when that comes into your your vision or your, your realm of knowledge, then you're forced to continue to make those yes or no's. And you're going to ask yourself, is this part of the plan is this a new plan? And you have to kind of face, what, the consequences of these yes and no decisions. Unfortunately, many people have a goal already in mind with their plan. And when that goal doesn't come out, right, they see, they don't, I mean, they don't see themselves as responsible, but they see, you know, other extenuating factors. And I think that's part of our issue when we kind of come to terms with our yeses and nos that we have to struggle with. Shirley. It struck me in the section where she spoke about finding the child actually before the child was born. Right. And as an educator, I've seen that with many families as they plan the children's life. Sure. And then as God intervenes, as the Holy Spirit intervenes, you see the disappointment and the disruption of a family because... Yeah, right. Things don't work out. Yeah, right. And and so, yeah, right. So do they not work out though according to your plan or according to a, even a the maker of the plan. Yeah, right. So so this is this is something that we have to kind of really 
uh, understand, again, at the conclusion of the chapter, she talks about surrendering. And so that, that, I think that's something that we just have to keep at, at the forefront as we kind of discuss this. Now, the other thing, too, is I just asked a basic question. What's the plan? All right? And I think because the, the lunch plans is one thing, but a plan for life is another one. And so as we talk about plans, and her, and her, her discussion is really more about, like, plans for life, direction, goal-oriented, how you're going to get there, and what your life is about. So I, w- I want to keep that kind of as our general rule as we understand plans, rather than like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to eat at Elfie's this afternoon and I should be open to eating at, I don't know, bricks oven pizza or something like that. I I don't want to get to that level because I think to a certain extent that obviously that is another form of idolatry. Um, Classic example of this is, um, uh, I had a friend who graduated from college and became a math teacher at a very prestigious high school. Um, ended up going to Harvard and all this other stuff. I mean, this this teacher, a friend of mine, is a, a, a high level and was from the Washington, D.C. area. And as I graduated college, I uh, got this job and, like, I mean, starting salary for, for this, my friend was, was as high as I got for public schools and had a, like a signing bonus to which my friend put towards a new car. But of course, the question was, what's God's plan for this car? Oh, man. I, 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 no, I, I was, I, I, at this time, I was uh, leaning into Lutheranism and away from evangelicalism, and I tried my best not to make fun because we have to ask ourselves, this person is struggling with the plan to decide between a brand-new Passat or a brand-new, I think it was a Honda Accord. And I'm thinking, so drive away. Drive away in the uh, the Passat, Volkswagen, right? That's a Passat, like that's like kind of like the larger one, right? It's a nice one, right? Okay. And all of a sudden, I don't know what happened. Oh yeah, that's right. Okay, so the uh, forgot to put the gas cap on all the way. Check engine light comes on. I made the wrong choice. I rejected God's plan. I, I'm not. Ma- I'm not making this up. That's serious. This is what my friend thought. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. This was a signal that there was the wrong choice, followed the wrong path. All right, so this is how we understand. God actually has a, has a great room of freedom, and it comes under this heading of what is, what is the big picture, okay? And this is a good thing, but for a lot of us, we don't like to have just the big picture, so, uh, and, and at the end of our lesson, we'll maybe kind of explore that a little bit. Because we like to have our turns figured out. So if I'm going somewhere, I want to know what street, how long, what's the turn, if there is stoplights. All God tells us is, you're going here. And you're, you know, this is, you're on this right path. Um, all right, so...
what drives you to make a plan, and um, and that, that's important for us. So let's turn to Je- Jeremiah 29 and explore this Bible passage. All right, I uh, on your handout there, you do have a kind of a context, but the uh, context actually begins at the verse 1 of Jeremiah 29. And in my Bible, I have a heading that says, Jeremiah's letter to the exiles. Okay. Jeremiah's work, well, first of all, Jeremiah's a prophet. Probably figure that out. He is a prophet in the southern kingdom, Judah, where Jerusalem is. And his work as a prophet is in the most tumultuous time for God's people. Jerusalem is destroyed, and Jeremiah doesn't even live and die. He he doesn't live uh, his life in the promised land. He dies in Egypt. For many of us, we don't, I mean, we don't understand what that exactly means, but for this period, he basically, th- these are signs of God's plan not working out. God's plan for his people were to go to the promised land, he was going to be their God, he was going to be their people, and they were going to be together uh, precisely in Jerusalem in the te- uh, um, at the temple at this time, so tabernacle before the temple was built. So there's a big question mark. Was Jeremiah rejected by God? I mean, this is a question that he can ask himself. Is God's plan for him, is his plan for him not working out? So in this context, Jeremiah is speaking to these exiles, which means that there's been people who have been removed from the promised land and now live in a foreign land. And you got to know a little bit about the Old Testament. God was really set on not having any foreign people inside the promised land. If there were, you know, they would have to become part of the family of God. So this is a big deal for these people. This is a, a, a monumental shattering of, of their plan. plan was to spend the rest of their lives in the promised land, uh, receiving God's gifts and being blessed by him. So as Jeremiah is speaking to the exiles, it's not as if Jeremiah is like, he's the blessed one. He's like telling people who are kind of screwed up, hey, this is what's going to happen to you. These words are, are for him as much as they are for other people. Because in his life, he was, atta- like he's, he was attacked. People, people don't want him to say what he wants to say. Uh, there's false prophets at the same time that are saying really nice things. And Jeremiah is saying all these, you know, kind of hard things to hear. So people want to shut him up. They, they want to destroy him. And because of that, then, he's, he kind of lives in isolation. And then even those people who want to, want to hear it because they believe he's a prophet, even at, at, eventually he's even rejected by his own community. He's like by himself. And on a certain level, you know, he believes that God's abandoned him. So there's this, hey, I thought I was a prophet. We're, we're having this direction, and, you know, and now it seems like all hell's broken loose. Well, it actually has. So, um, And so that's for Jeremiah. That's God's plan. 
So going back to that high school graduation, the you know, God has plans for you, all the places you'll go. I mean, this is all like, hey, this is great. You got, you got the world at your fingertips. Um, you know, I mean, just imagine a new book based on Jeremiah. Oh, the places you go based on Jeremiah. You know, it's very happy, and then there's a little, there's like halfway, maybe three-quarters of the, the way through the book, there's like a little, you know, struggle about like standing in line and not going anywhere, and uh, it'd be like after the first page, you know, the guy actually gets mugged as he's walking down the street, and, you know, and so all the places you go, well, it sounds very hopeful and interesting for Jeremiah, I mean, it's a real thing that you struggle with. We, we, we have a tendency to struggle between a passat and an accord. And we think that's a hard decision. Jeremiah was struggling with getting his face beat up and <laughs> still believing in God. I mean, these are a whole different level of struggle. So the thing is, though, is in spite of all the evidence to the contrary, Jeremiah still engages with God. He still knows God. He communes with God. And what's most important is he honestly argues with God because he, he believes that God still has a plan. So there is, uh, Jeremiah very well could have asked, do you know what you're doing, God? All right, so as we kind of think about God's plan for our life, we, we have a tendency to think about, like, this is going to work out because God, you know, he's a big God. It's all going to work out, especially if we know Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Hey, good things are going to come out of this. Well, Jeremiah helps us kind of understand even that uh, kind of frame of mind because in Jeremiah thirty-two twenty-five, God tells him to buy this field that will, in fact, be overtaken by a foreign king. And he still, but he still buys that because obviously there's this promise that's been made in twenty-nine verse eleven. The thing is, though, is that he. Remember where he dies? He dies in Egypt. So the question would be, why did he buy this field? Is he going to experience the goodness of God's plan? Will he ever enjoy this field? No. All right, so this is another aspect. When it comes to living in such a way that confesses God has a plan... We need to remember that we live in spite of the reality we might not see the return in our life. Okay? People take, hey, take a step out in faith. And then we think about receiving those benefits in this lifetime. That doesn't happen in Jeremiah. And if we look at the um, verse 10 of 29... For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. God made a promise to you guys. 70 years. How many of us will be around to actually experience that plan? Zilch. But at the same time, God compels us to live in such a way where we will, in fact, experience it. That's, that's, a, that's a pretty radical thing going on here. Because when we talk about surrendering 
That's a radical notion of surrender and a radical notion of hope because the hope is precisely doesn't return to us. I don't know if I'm making sense, but I think this is uh, something that's really helpful for us as we understand God's plan, because uh, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Well, 70 years from now, you'll have a future and a hope. But you will be dead. I will be dead. We'll all be dead. Yeah, so in this lifetime, we wonder about what, how we're going to reap the benefits of, of such a plan, and we have to struggle with the reality that we probably won't. Carol. I, according to Jeremiah, I'm saying. What, yeah, okay, so good. I was getting there, but what, so what is the benefit? Good. Now, in the in these verses, what's what is the hope and the future tied to? Again, uh, we have to think more concrete. The Old Testament is very concrete. Yeah. Right. Right. Okay. Good. Good. This is good. So make best with what you got. Okay, that's good. That's good. Very good. Very good. All right, good. This is something, though. And at the same time, there's a lot of, you know, I may be going somewhere that I don't like at all, and I may be hitting my head against a brick wall, and I may really hate it, but I'm going to Right. Well, yeah, they have no rights. Yeah, they have no, they're not considered, well, most of them won't be considered citizens. But yeah. Yeah, right. Okay, good. This is good. So, so it's 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 painting a realistic picture in Jeremiah. But the pro, so uh, what is the benefit tied to? It's tied to the promise, but the promise is very concrete. Also, it's it's the land, okay. And so this is a, this is great because as um, they know the promises of God, and it's not working out. Again, this question is like, do you know what you're doing, God? And and so God does know what He's doing, all right. It's just that it, it's a pretty hard pill to swallow sometimes. So that goes to the next point. The land is only promised, or it should be promised, to the landless. Okay, that that. Okay, so what does that mean? The land was given to Israel. It was maintained for Israel solely by God. That means they have no claim to it. They have no ownership. Um, but that doesn't mean they weren't well cared for and they had a bright future. So, unfortunately, at this time in Israel's life, it was no longer living out of the hand of God, but it was laying claim to what they had planned. All right. So when it comes to plans, the children of God don't lay claim to anything. So we have, we have no plans, but God has plans. And so we don't we don't ever so this is the this is kind of the, the struggle of the whole thing. Is that we, we have to understand how our lives fit into this wider plan 
of God. So what happens in Jeremiah is that since the land is only promised to the landless, in order to get God, in order to understand Israel as who Israel was first created, what is God going to have to do? He's going to have to take away the land so that they can experience the promise. And so as we think about plans we make in our life and how things don't work out, this very well can be a, an avenue towards becoming landless so that we are thrown back upon the mercy of God. Uh, that, that's a very hard thing. So Israel loses the land in order to return to the point where they can confess they have nothing. Their plans for their land, that is life together, were destroyed because their plans were precisely idols. Remember, the only thing good to be done with an idol is to, to smash it. There's no softening the edges. It is a... So that's what happens in Jeremiah. And so now we have this verse, this wonderful verse about future and welfare and hope. But it's in that context. Does that make sense? So he, they literally are at rock bottom when, when God's making this promise. Okay? And that's why I think the high school senior getting this is always kind of funny because they're like, uh, you know, they're already on cloud nine. This is great. Hey, life, like, I got the world on a string. <laughs> That's not what's happening in Jeremiah. They're basically like in the gutter, peeking their brains out, and they're having this epiphany. Well, it's like the prodigal son. He's eating the the pods of the pigs. You know, that's the context where this promise is made. And none of us, frankly, would like to get to that point in our life. We would like to avoid that. Okay, and. But thanks be to God, he does, he does take, I mean, he keeps that away from us. But being in that moment does not actually, based on the Bible, does not discount that God's taking care of you. But Jeremiah also, though, does wrestle with it. So this is the great thing, is that if you know someone who's in the gutter puking their brains out because, you know, whatever, or, or this, you know, I mean, for whatever reason, they have these, they're, this, they're not letting go. Um, you have a good word to say to them right now. Because this is where God comes into the midst of a people and says, hey, I actually got, I got plans for you. Holly. Yep. Yeah, welfare, welfare is is in my translation. The peace is, uh, I think, in a shalom. I think that I didn't look up the Hebrew, but um, I'm assuming it's shalom. But um, that, that's all really important for us. All right, Nancy. Right. Yeah, right. That's right. Mm-hmm. 
That's right. Oh yeah. Okay. Good. Good context. So, um, so this is why Jeremiah got in a lot of trouble. Jeremiah's like, he's. He, it sounds like he's speaking against the promises of God. You guys stay here. Babylonians are going to come in here, but it's going to be all right. Where the false prophets were saying, uh, we, you, uh, they didn't say this exactly, but their message was, let's make alliances so that we can defend ourselves against Babylon and still have our land to ourselves. Well, yeah, and then you have the Egyptian bit. So this is a, this is a, the chronological bit here. So, and that's what happens when, with Jeremiah. That's how he gets to Egypt is they finally are like, they just send him out. They send all these people, and Jeremiah is one of them amongst all these people that have to go down to Egypt. Anyways, so, but this is exactly right. So, again, that's another uh, kind of layer to the reality that when God speaks something to us, and it sounds just, it sounds unbelievable. It sounds contrary to the promise that God has already made. We, we have to kind of wrestle with it. Now, you know, the whole point, though, is, is like, what's up with Yahweh? Kind of like, why, why, you know, this is a difficult reality. Um, and I think it's important for us to kind of understand is that when God says these things and when he has Israel go through these things, he's not a distant puppeteer. As I, I kept on th- going back to the uh, image of the... Uh, What's the girl in the bow and arrow movie? Hunger Games, where you have these people who are directing everything, like in this computer room and all that. Um, God's not like that at all in Jeremiah. And uh, if you check Jeremiah 8.21 and chapter 9, you find out that God actually suffers. He suffers in this book. So when he makes these promises of plans, it's not as if he's unaware or aloof to the reality of the listener. And that's important because now we're getting closer and closer to God's plan. Um, oh, so when he asks us to trust in him, live in his plan, we need to be aware that he knows the struggles you will have. And on a very real level, he struggles with them too. I think that's important. Oh, yeah, exactly. So his struggle, your struggle with life doesn't, discount whether God's hearing you or not. Um, he tells you to pray, and he says, I'll, I'll hear, I, I don't know what verse Yeah, that's right, that's right, uh, verse 12. 12 okay. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And and so he doesn't hear you from afar. He hears you very close. So where have we heard of a story where God comes close to hear our cries, struggle as we struggle. That would be Jesus, right? What is God's plan then? And do we actually hear it concretely in his word? We do. It's, it's Jesus. His plan is Jesus. And that's very hard for us because we don't think of a person as being a plan. We think of step one, step two, step three. But when God gives Jesus as the plan, he's giving a life to live. Not a map or a, a like a, you know, 33-step program to experience God's plan for your life. He simply gives you Jesus. 
And this is the build-up towards Romans chapter 8. Uh, turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, yeah, because this is helpful for us as we then tackle Romans chapter 8. And all things working to good. I, we're, uh, you know, 3 through 14 is the context, and what we would find out is Paul uses the word purpose and plan uh, several times, but I think we're just going to read 9, 10, and 11. Um, uh, making known to us the mystery of his will, that, that's a peculiar statement, Right? When you make a mystery known, does that clarify the mystery? No. Okay, so that, that's, we have to keep that in mind. Uh, yeah, it's still a mystery. Uh, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth, in him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. All right, so we have purposes and plans, and they all get wrapped up in Jesus. What is the plan? It's Jesus. What is the purpose of the plan? Well, yeah, actually, it's just it's in the words to unite all things. Okay, and that that now what does that even mean though? That is to so when yeah, let's talk about it. Think about it visually. What does uniting all things mean? That's right, putting it all back together, putting it all back into order, putting it the way it's supposed to be. All right, so um, now how that plan gets carried out, if you, if you pay attention to the Old Testament, putting things back in order takes a lot of uh, smashing and, and uh, struggle. All right, so uh, in order for us to help us understand that, though, we have to always look towards Jesus. So what is the big picture? The big picture, then, is that our life would be lived through the Holy Spirit in Christ. Paul uses that all the time, right? Living in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. And for a lot of us, we don't, we, we might not actually apply that to plans, okay? But if we know our big picture, when we live in Christ, what are the ramifications of living in Christ then? What's that? Well, the persecution, yep, that's part of it, yep. You know, struggle. It's not hunky dory. What goes? What's that? Oh, yeah, maybe sometimes. Yep, but not completely isolated. Freedom. Ooh, good job. Uh, You know, I've really dwelled on like, kind of. uh, Maybe I'm overemphasizing the struggle bit a little bit too much. Just like she was overemphasizing not making plans. Um, But along with Jesus, though, comes community, hope direction and and purpose. So 
you know, one of the great things about Jesus, though, is that when we live our life in Christ, we always have purpose. Uh, this is something that's really important for us. Uh, I see it very concretely when I visit shut-ins. They can't do anything anymore. What is their plan? What's that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, the, the plan is pretty pretty different. Now, some for some. So the thing is, though, is that on a certain level, praying to die can be okay. On another level, it's it's not so good because it can be suicidal. Um, and so yeah, we have to think about that. So the person who's a shut-in. Uh, Harold Lang, may his soul rest in peace, he was 102, and he struggled with this every single month I, I'm, I'm, I had the Lord's Supper with him. What is God doing with me? What is his plan for my life? Why am I here? Well, why is he here? It's no different than you guys, though. What's God's plan for you? Okay. Exactly. Love God, love neighbor. I mean, it's just real simple. Love God, love neighbor. Do you have to have a... I mean, so Harold, though, what did he associate his purpose in life with? Doing something. And uh, well, doing something meaning like having a job or, or like a... Uh, yes, Exactly. Well, he always has a purpose. That's right. Yeah, but at the ripe old age of 102, how old? You could be a mentor. Could be. Exactly. So um, this is something that we're always changing. So Jesus, so the, and this is what I told Harold, um, and I told my grandfather this too. At 102, guess what? He's going to die pretty soon. So I told Harold, your job is to show me how to die well. How does, how does a Christian man die? Because I told him, well, that's what, that's what Jesus did for us. Jesus showed us how to die, die well. And that radically changes, you know, praying for to, to die, actually. That, that's something that's... Yeah, right, of course. Yeah. And that that could um that's good because that probably changed the how she saw the rest of her life. Jen Right. God's already told you his plan. Right. 
and and that, and that so this is also and it, it, okay good good Jan this is really good um people when we see people not struggling as much as we do what do we what do we presume about them what's that oh they're not trying or faith isn't strong uh, I was gonna say something like even a they don't have all the crap happening to them. Uh, I've experienced this lots of times um, with other pastors. Pastor Brzezik and I, we really, we have great joy in the ministry. And people presume, guys who are friends with us even, presume what about us in the ministry then? We got it easy. Oh, you got it easy at St. John. It's so good. Well, we do have a good because because uh, of family, um, but that takes a lot of hard work. I mean, think about running your own family. All the hard work is to have a nice family, a good family. Oy. So, so this is something then too. I, I think Jan's is a good idea. God has told us His plan for us to live in Jesus, in faith towards Him, and in fervent love towards one another. Everything in this entire world can be brought into that plan. Of course, the struggle. So whether it's a Honda Accord or a Volkswagen Passat, <laughs> could probably come into there. Um, and it goes with Carol. So now we have this great freedom, right? I mean, to use God's gifts wisely to to you know to understand what He's how how are you going to affect this, and then without. Without having anything, though, this is another thing, too, is when we have nothing. So that's why I use the shut-in as an example. They, they feel like they have, like, nothing to give. They have everything to give because they live in Christ. So they have love. They have the love of God to share. Whether it be just with Pastor Nelson or their uh, nurse, their neighbors, or even they just sit there and pray they are, they are living the, the life that God has given them to live. It might not be easy, but then you have to really kind of challenge them. Was life ever really easy for you? I mean, is this just another form of struggle that you've had for your the entire life? Um, and I think that's the simple truth that makes plans difficult, is that we, it seems like it's too simple. Love God, love neighbor, there's got to be more to it. Well, we all know that's not easy, though. And that as life unfolds for us, the struggle is then to maintain this perspective. Especially if we, I ask a question at the end of the thing, is there a clean slate when we make our plans? And I ask another kind of funny question, do we start at the start? And I would say no and no. Uh I, I did a lot of work in the inner city during college before they tore down the Robert Taylor homes. And they, I, 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 I've thought about this when I got that All the Places You Go book and giving it to these children in the Robert Taylor homes. They have a way different understanding of that than I ever would. Um, there, yeah, and I heard this quote by this guy. He he uh, he worked in the he works in the inner city of Philadelphia. 
and uh, the notion of life after death is hard for the people he works with because they're asking a question, what? Is there life before death? So this is why Jeremiah and these verses are so helpful if we understand them in the context because these people, these verses actually apply to, to these children that I worked with and this man, these people he worked with because their experience actually is closer to the experience of Jeremiah than, than me and Wausau, Wisconsin, graduating from Wausau West High School. Um, and so I only say that, though, because that helps me. How would that help me, though? I mean, how, how would that help me at that time? How would I see, I would see, well, I, I, let me backtrack. So, um, Every, a lot of high school seniors, what do they want to do when they graduate, when they go to college? Do they want to go to college at, at, at COD, or do they think University of Florida, maybe Southern, yeah, University of Southern California, right? They all want to get away, right? Because, oh, man, my life is just, ah, I can't stand this place. They want to get out. Not everyone, but, you know, that, that's a fair assumption. They want to get out. They want to get away. Um, and I, I did, I mean. I wanted to, and uh, but what we, but looking back on it, I realized what I had it pretty, I had it pretty good, and I wish I would have appreciated it a lot more back then. I would ha- I would have faced a lot more freedom, knowing what I know now. But that's all part of God's plan, though, and to realize that my past is my past, and now I do have a future where I can use that towards good. All right, so next week we're going to do Romans chapter 8, 28, and we're going to talk more concretely about the book. So, I, I, you know, just if you want to review it real quick. Jan. Oh, I'm sorry. Next week we will not be here. Spring break for the kids, so we'll be back on April 11th. And we'll finish up the chapter. We should be... Um, April 20th. So April 18th, the following week, will be Good Friday, which we won't have Bible study. So we have a week off, week on, week off kind of dealio. All right, so, um, all right, let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.